0: It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live.
1: Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you didn't. On
0: Giants.com. You know what
1: I saw? New York Giant
0: Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants podcast network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy
2: dogs, and have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Phone number 201-939-4513. You can't get to the phone. You can also follow and interact with us using hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the calendar now shows September 2021. We are inching closer to actual meaningful football. We got a 53-man roster, which the Giants were able to release yesterday. So we'll get into that. We'll lay out our observations And we'll also get to your phone calls and your tweets along the way. Paul, looking forward to it. How's everything on your end today?
1: Oh, good morning, Lance. You know, I guess the remnants of that hurricane have finally hit us up here in the Northeast. So the rain has started, and the Giants are supposed to have a practice this afternoon. Now, I'm guessing, I know Joe Judge is going to go into MetLife Stadium to have that practice. Uh, I'm guessing we're still going to be allowed to see it. Quite frankly, I'm not sure. I do know that the regular season practice policies are now in place where the media is only going to get about 15 minutes before they chase us. So uh, it remains to be seen how our day goes this afternoon.
2: Well, the weather is certainly wreaking havoc across the United States because New Orleans was what was really impacted by that hurricane. and we hope, Prayers to those people. Correct. Absolutely. We hope everybody in that area that was impacted by Hurricane Ida is doing well. The Saints, by the way, just a quick side note before we get into Giants matters. The Saints have now had to relocate. And the reason I bring that up, Paul, they look like they're going to be relocated for the first quarter of the season. And remember, the Saints play the Giants in week four, so it's possible that game is scheduled will not be in New Orleans. Of course, we're a few weeks away, but it just goes to show you that weather could play a role at least in the early stages of the season.
1: Yeah, you know, Lance, the bottom line is the crazy weather patterns that have afflicted this country over the last couple of years have, have just caused so much damage, so much heartache, so much tragedy. And then on the very lighter side, simply inconvenience and rescheduling. Uh, Obviously, there are many more important things and suffering that people have had to go through a heck of a lot worse than just having to move a football game. So, again, certainly our thoughts and prayers to everybody who has been dramatically impacted. But, yeah, it's really weird how over the last couple of years uh, we have seen a lot of logistical puzzles have to – to be solved simply because things were, were coming out of the sky.
2: There's no doubt about it. And that's the beauty of the National Football League. Everybody adapts and moves on. And what we were able to pull off last season in the midst of COVID, what the Giants have had to deal with in previous years. I remember the trip to Minnesota with the stadium and the snow and the game to Detroit. So, you know, this is nothing new for most teams in the National Football League. And it's not going to be any different in terms of what they're going to have to deal with, at least over the course of the early stages of 2021. But the good news is, We do have now a 53-man roster. So, Paul, before we get into some other matters, let's give our initial observations of what the Giants released in terms of their initial 53. There are two numbers that jump out to me that I want to start with, and then feel free to add if there's any other totals for a given position. But the two numbers that jumped out to me, they kept seven wide receivers initially. I don't think that's stunning, but it's worth noting because of the injuries and the question mark connected to at least four of the guys right now. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. You have also Darius Slayden, who was banged up during the course of the last preseason game. And then John Ross. So I don't think it's stunning that they retain seven guys to protect themselves, at least from that standpoint. The other number that I thought was interesting, Paul, was two fullbacks. The fact that Eli Penny and Golan Galaspia were both retained. Now we know Gillespie is a really good special teamer. We know Eli Penny's versatile. He's not just a fullback. He could also serve as a ball carrier based on what he did in the preseason as well as what he's done in previous years as well as his start to his career in Arizona. But those in particular were the two numbers based on volume in terms of what they ultimately mm-hmm.
1: kept. I would agree with that. And we all know that the Giants cut Casey Kreider, their long snapper, yesterday the obvious feeling is that he would come back on a gentleman's agreement today so that they could have a long snapper because as the 53 man roster was submitted yesterday they did not have a long snapper and obviously that does not make any sense you know they will have one when they play the Broncos in week number 1 so I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it yes. either. Uh so uh You know, the likely scenario is that he comes back today and that means somebody who was on yesterday's 53 is going to have to be put down, whether or not they are released, whether or not they are put on PUP, whether or not they are put on injured reserve, which means they're gone for at least three weeks. Remember, PUP, you'd be gone for at least six weeks. There are certainly candidates. uh, For example, Ellison Smith, Uh, You know, he has hardly done anything during training camp. You have to believe that he is a candidate probably for PUP for six weeks. I don't think he's going to go IR for three. I think he's going to go in-season PUP for six. But, But that would be a way that you could trim a roster spot to bring in a long snapper. And, again, I would assume that Kreider would be coming back.
2: Yeah, and the Giants' release yesterday had indicated that it looks as if they're going to re-sign Casey Kreider. So I don't think that would be a surprise. And to your point, they'll have to make another roster move from that standpoint, which is why you and I had this exact conversation on Monday, if you recall. We could not emphasize it more enough. It's extremely a fluid situation, and it's going to be even more fluid than previous years because you have about two weeks leading up to the first game. So what we're looking at right now is not necessarily what the roster is going to look like on Friday and what the roster may look like next Wednesday. Just keep that in mind because we're already anticipating one move with respect to Casey Kreider coming back. So, therefore, somebody has to be removed in order to open up a spot for him. Now, one thing I wanted to piggyback off of in terms of Pup as well as IR that you threw out, I have to clarify, Paul, I thought you have to start training camp on Pup to then be able to be moved there. So I'm questioning whether or not Ellerson Smith would be eligible to be placed on Pup under those circumstances. Uh, I have to clarify once again. There's a difference between Pup in the
1: preseason and Pup in the regular season. That I can tell you. Now, are you suggesting there's a detail there that that maybe I'm missing on? That is there may possible. be. No,
2: you could be right in terms of that now that the regular season started, you can place a guy on that list. But at least in terms of training camp, the only way that you could then carry on to the regular season, which is the case for Aaron Robinson, remember, he was placed on pup. He transitioned from training camp preseason okay. pup to regular season pup because the rules are very right. clear. Once you are taken off of pup, you can't go back on pup. Because no, that means correct. you already participated in practice. So that's why I'm throwing that out there with respect to Ellerson Smith. Smith's going to have to go IR for, for a minimum of three
1: weeks. You're right. He's not going to be able to go pump yes. because he was there, came off it. You can't put him back on. So you're right. So, but the bottom line is they're going to have to make a move with him because he's not playing against Denver. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The guy hasn't had any preseason snaps, basically, sure. for the most part. So he's he's going to wind up going somewhere, and I don't think they're going to cut him. So assume he's going to be an IR guy. I think you're right. He's not, He can't go back to pop. Uh, another guy, look, let me say this. I was out of practice yesterday. It was a walkthrough. The only guy I did not see, and we know that there are injured players, Kyle Rudolph is obviously, you know, trying to ramp up. Kadarius Toney is trying to ramp up. Saquon Barkley, John Ross, these guys are all trying to ramp up. Adoree Jackson trying to ramp up. So they got a bunch of guys who are in that ramp-up process who could wind up going on. I'm going to call it short-term IR, but it's not. It's, it's just IR. Yeah, it's just IR. But IR, it is a right. minimum of three weeks. That's why I'm calling it short-term, just for the lack of – Uh, of a good term for it because most people hear IR and they think the guy's going to be out forever. Sure. It's three, it's a minimum of three weeks. Okay. That's the new IR thanks to last year's protocols and the COVID. So here's the thing of all of these guys who are gimpy. And by the way, Shane Lemieux took snaps at yesterday's 11 on 11 walkthrough. Okay. That's a great sign for him. It was Evan Ingram who was not out there. He was either at the doctors or he was getting treatment, which leads me to believe of all the guys uh, who are ramping up or coming off of bumps and bruises and nicks and those kinds of things. He may be the one that you'd be most concerned about right now because he was not out on the field yesterday. Now, maybe he'll get out there today. I don't know, but Ingram was not to be seen on yesterday on the field yesterday. And I think that's that's kind of important. We always talk about the fact that when a guy is nicked up, if you at least see him out there or if he's on the side working with the trainers or if he's on the bike, that at least is one step closer to return.
2: Ingram was not to be found. Plus, he also had the most recent injury because he just got hurt in the last preseason game. A lot of those guys that you mentioned have been recovering. So I would say that's another reason why, if there's any strong candidate, perhaps, that could go on IR. And once again, we're not indicating that that's going to happen. We're just speculating in terms of the timeline on the timetable. You would think it would be Evan Ingram, especially since he was not at practice. Now, Joe Judge spoke to the media yesterday just to... Piggyback off of what you just mentioned, Paul, and said that they are considering a few candidates for IR, but they can continue to monitor the roster and see how things play out. And remember, another indication is, do you want to add a guy? Did you get a successful waiver claim? I think that also, Paul, is going to play a role about whether or not they put somebody on IR. And then the other factor, of course, is... The beauty of what you just laid out with the rules rolling over, the rules, excuse me, rolling over from last season is if you think a player is dealing with an injury that's going to sideline him for two weeks, then it's practical. You put him on IR, and then you know you're going to get him back by the fourth game assuming that there's no setback. So it gives you a little bit more freedom and flexibility where, remember, the old IR rules did not have unlimited returns, meaning you could only bring back about three guys, and they had to be on IR for a minimum of eight weeks. Correct. Which means you're losing the guy for half a season. That's why you didn't want to put a guy on IR. Now I think the mindset is not that you want to put him on, but you don't mind putting him on IR, Paul, because you know three games, I get him back for the fourth game. And that means if you break down the season by quarters, you're not even losing a guy for an entire quarter of the season. So that's by far much more promising.
1: Well, look at a guy like Josh Jackson, who they got in the trade with the Packers. How much has he done since he got here? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think it's likely. I mean, I, who knows? But I don't think it's likely that, that he plays against the Denver Broncos. I mean, unless they're able to get him out there real quick and get him coached up real quick because he came over here
2: and he was already nicked up. All of these things, once again, play a role in terms of how they're going to orchestrate the 53-man roster heading into week one. And once again, we talked about the long snapper. That's one of the chess pieces that's in play. And then, of course, there's the injuries. Now, a few other things before we open up the phone lines with respect to the 53-man roster. The offensive line has little by little changed, Paul, over the last few days. You mentioned the Josh Jackson trade. They've pulled off, by the way, the Giants five trades in the last two weeks, Mm -hmm. just to give you an idea of how active things have been for Dave Gettleman and company, but we see the offensive line, the depth chart, very different than where it looked in terms of before training camp started, and they have since added Billy Price from the Cincinnati Bengals, and then on top of that yesterday, they made another trade as they have now added Ben Brendison from the Baltimore Ravens who is a 2020 fourth round pick. So this is somebody that is still on a rookie contract. Billy Price was part of the 2018 class. So he has one year remaining on his rookie deal. But both of these guys are interior offensive linemen. Price has played center and both guard spots. Bredesen has played tackle going back to high school. And he played guard in college as he made the transition at Michigan. So you have some versatility there. But as far as NFL experience... Ten appearances last season, did not start a game, but I would say his NFL experience has mainly been guard. But that doesn't mean, once again, Paul, that he doesn't have versatility to be moved around.
1: Well, it doesn't mean that the Giants are stopping to look on the offensive line either. Sure. Who's to say they won't pick up another offensive lineman in the next 48 hours or so?
2: Could get somebody on the waiver wire. I yeah.
1: mean, it's it, and you know what? I mean, as, as crazy as it sounds... Uh, I don't know that anybody on that depth chart at that particular position should necessarily feel incredibly confident. I mean, even though you made a deal to get both of these offensive linemen the last couple of days, uh, especially Price has been nicked up throughout his career. I mean, you know, you know what they say about availability. Well, Billy Price is coming over here, and I'm sure that uh, everything will work out, and he'll pass his physical, and and everything should be fine. And you want to believe that, but but what if Billy Price all of a sudden you know winds up being hurt again, and then you've got to go out and get another offensive lineman? So and, and there are still two weeks to that Broncos game, so you know. I, look, I don't want to be a, a doomsayer here, but y- you just don't know a hundred percent if any of these guys is, are going
2: to be able to play. And they kept, by the way, eight offensive linemen. So with respect to your point, you just have three backups. You have the two guys you just acquired via trades and Nate Solder, assuming, of course, yeah. that Nate Solder doesn't I start at right time. I figured nine
1: tackle. all along, Lance. I, I figured nine offensive linemen for sure with an outside shot for 10. And, and they did not go for nine. They went for eight, which was surprising to me.
2: But then again, based on some of the moves they may make in the coming days, maybe they do sacrifice elsewhere and add an additional offensive lineman, especially if they can get somebody off of the waiver wire or perhaps sign somebody. So you have to also take that into consideration. Plus, remember, right now they have three tight ends on the roster. And the other thing to note with respect to that is Evan Ingram we just talked about, but also you referenced Kyle Rudolph who just came off of PUP. So of the three tight ends, Paul – you have two guys that, I don't want to say they're question marks, but they're certainly dealing with recent injuries. So you wonder whether or not are they looking there in case they need insurance if one of those guys is not ready to go.
1: Eric Tomlinson just got cut yesterday, a former Giant who was known for his blocking prowess. Uh, whether or not they, they are interested in him, who knows. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the two fullbacks, uh, Golaspia and Penny, surviving yesterday's cut. Uh, I get it. Golaspia is a terrific special teams guy. Penny's a special teams guy. Uh, Penny has shown some prowess also running as a halfback, which we saw during the preseason. I would think that Penny would be ahead of Golasbia on that depth chart. So is it possible that Golasbia is a guy who could be dangling on a string right now if they need another position?
2: I don't think that's crazy. The other thing I was going to throw out is do they look at the additional fullback as insurance at tight end for blocking purposes? That was the other thing that I was thinking.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. Again, if you're going to add an offensive lineman, and they have eight now, I really believe they're going to have at least nine going into the Denver game. I'd be shocked if they don't have at least nine. You could always go with the jumbo package and use an extra offensive lineman as a blocking tight end.
2: There's no doubt about it. You have flexibility there, and we've seen that previously. And we've seen Jason Garrett throw out three tight ends, too, if you go back to that Seahawks game last season when they didn't have Daniel Jones and they were just running the ball with Colt McCoy under center. So I would not rule any of those options out. A few other notes. Everybody from the draft class made the roster. The exception is, of course, Aaron Robinson's on PUP. But everybody else did make the initial 53. Danny Johnson, not sorry, Raymond Johnson, excuse me, the third, was the lone undrafted player to make the roster, out of Georgia Southern. He actually spoke to the media the other day. You could tell he's all smiles, but he's uneasy like any other player because he knows that this is not necessarily the end-all, be-all as they have some time getting in to Week 1. But it's always nice to see those stories where you see a guy come into camp, work his you-know-what off, and then all of a sudden get on the 53-man roster. He mentioned, interestingly, when he spoke to the media, Paul, the other day, he said, In the spring, it took him about two weeks to truly adjust to life of the NFL, the speed of the game, the nuances of the play calling, and so forth. But then once he started training camp, he said he was well-prepared mentally and physically to just go out, compete, and his mindset was, I'm going to leave it all on the line. It's not going to be in my hands. Hopefully, the coaching staff will see something, and clearly, he won that battle.
1: Well, how else would you want him to approach it?
2: No, not at all. It's just interesting <laughs> when players admit, though, this is why I'm bringing it up, where, hey, the first two weeks of spring, it was a rude awakening. And it's okay to admit that. You would expect that there to be some transition period, especially when you're coming from a lesser D1 program in Georgia Southern.
1: No, absolutely, 100%. Hey, look, Georgia Southern was a former 1AA powerhouse for a number of years until they moved up to FBS football several seasons ago. And so, you know, for a lot of people, they're probably scratching their head and saying, well, who is Georgia Southern? I'm sure that there were some folks saw him on the roster and weren't even aware that Georgia Southern had a football program. Absolutely. Especially if you're not aware of of – what was one double a football or what is now fcs football if if you didn't know that you know they were from the southern conference which was one of the best one double a if in fact it was the best one double a football conference in the country for many many years and i'm very much obviously because i work with that with that level of football i'm very much familiar with that program so when i saw his name originally signed to the roster i'm like oh okay you know let let's see the kid had a good camp, Lance. He did some. He he flashed on a number of occasions, and I'm not kidding you. I had him on my 53.
2: Yeah, I had him on my 53 too. And
1: he he was the luxury that allowed them to trade B.J. Hill to Cincinnati for Billy Price.
2: When you have depth at one position and you need help in the other, when young guys blossom like that then you're able to part ways with talent. And that's exactly how it played out for the Giants. And it's nothing new. Remember, the Giants have had a track record of bringing in some undrafted guys. I mean, Kerry Wynn is another guy that comes to mind, speaking of the defensive end pass rusher position out of Richmond. Okay? They've looked at guys that are not necessarily from powerhouse schools in Division One, and they've been able to carve out roles for them. So this is not necessarily anything new. Last thing that I wanted to throw out before we, once again, expand on the conversation, I'm curious— Who was your biggest surprise, Paul, that did not make the roster or maybe made the roster when you looked at the 53? Well, I think the two
1: fullbacks was really kind of surprising to me, to be frank with you. I mean, you know, how many teams in the NFL kept two fullbacks by the end of 4 o'clock yesterday? Are the Giants the only one?
2: I have not perused the league, but I would go out on a limb, and I would say it, probably in all likelihood they got to be on an island all by themselves.
1: Right? I mean, yeah. we've talked about how fullbacks are a dinosaur already. They're basically extinct in this league. I don't, I'm going to guess. I don't know this, so folks, don't hold me to it. I'm going to guess there's probably no more than maybe eight teams in the league that even thought about keeping one fullback. Is that fair?
2: Well, we know the San Francisco 49ers are one of them <laughs> right? because of how they use Kyle Juszczyk. But, yeah, a lot of teams say we don't need a fullback. Yeah, 100%. So, so, for the Giants to keep two, that in itself
1: is pretty remarkable. Again, that may change by the end of today.
2: Sure. But, but I think listen, that, all that, we can do is really... we can only analyze what we have in front of us at this time. Yeah,
1: point. and I think that was really, really surprising to me. Two fullbacks, I mean, in today's
2: NFL, that's just unheard of. I was going to go with a player that didn't make the roster. I was a little surprised, and I know that they probably were experimenting where to fit him in, but given the fact that he was an added addition in the free agent pool, I was surprised that Fadio Denebo didn't make the roster, Paul. I thought that was a guy with some potential, some upside, some intrigue based on what he did with the Vikings, and I thought maybe he'd be a guy that you'd want to experiment with in the early stages of the season, see what you could get out of him, but ultimately, they decided to move on.
1: I totally agree with you in terms of the guys who were cut. That was the biggest cut surprise to me because uh, when Odenebo came over from the Vikings, he was a guy that they had targeted earlier in free agency, a veteran who had had some pass rush experience. We knew the giants wanted to bolster their pass rush. He had some flexibility and versatility. Uh, The giants seemed to talk about him with, with fondness uh, during the course of the summer. And then during training camp, look, I'm not going to lie to you here. I thought during training camp he was rather quiet. Every once in a while he would make a move. I didn't see him winning around the edge to the outside much. When he won at practice, it was because he was stunting and coming on the inside. And I said to myself, okay, I'd like to see him win more often, but hey, Maybe he's just kind of shaking off the rust, working out some of the kinks, still getting used to the system. I certainly did not think he would be left off the 53. So he was my biggest surprise to uh, to get a, uh, a plane ticket. But... Um... I, I would say he did have a rather quiet training camp. Now, the only good thing about that, guys, not to interrupt very briefly, but this is the earliest ever that I can mark incorrect one of our predictions in our over-under
2: segment that we did in June when Lance predicted a Fadio Denbo would lead the Giants in sacks this year. The fact that I can mark that off on September 1st? Pretty happy about yeah. that, not going to well, lie. Well, that was one of my bold <laughs> predictions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But see, hey, that's what made it bold, right? Yes, because that's the 100% guy's not even it here. made it bold. Well, it's well, going it to be didn't... very difficult for him to pull that off yes. unless he returns to the team. So I think that is
2: B-O-L-D in all capital words. Without and capital Yes,
1: Without question. But, but, but I think, Lance, you know, honestly – When you looked at what the Giants did in retrospect and knowing that they've got a handful of moves probably on the table right now, it doesn't seem so wild and out of the question. For example, we just mentioned Adenabo, right? Well, let me ask you something. Didn't you see more out of Ojolari and Zimenez and Trent Harris and even Cam Brown than maybe you thought you would? I mean, Cam Brown turned out to be a special team star in August.
2: Well, and, and he also, remember, flashed a little bit last season, too, when he was on the sure, roster. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I think his his ability
1: to excel on special teams during the summer solidified a spot. Even if you thought he may have been on the bubble, there's no way he was going to be on the bubble after you saw him playing Gunner all August.
2: Yeah, and Cam Brown, too, also was promising, and they utilized him a lot on special teams in the preseason. I guess, you know what, I would make an argument in terms of Odenable. It's not to take away any of the roster spots from the guys that made it. It would be more of Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez. you know, these guys coming back from injuries don't have a great track record in the durability department. Do you want to protect yourself by having somebody who's a veteran who's got a little bit more proven resume in terms of the sack department? That was the logic and the thinking that I went with. That volume was important to take into consideration, at least in the early stages of the season.
1: Well, I think the only move you could have made, if you wanted to hold on to a Dennebo, You could have put Ellison Smith down on season-ending IR, and then he would have been lost for the year, which means he can't even practice with the team. And, look, I've said this before. I kind of looked at him as a redshirt guy anyway in that I don't necessarily think you can start counting on him to give you some production this season. I think there are so many other guys uh, ahead of him on the depth chart. Smith is coming from a small school. He had a year off because he opted out because of COVID. I mean, how realistic is it to think that Ellison Smith is really going to give you significant snaps during the 2021 season? So if you wanted to, I think that would have been the corresponding move. Keep Odenabo and then IR Ellison Smith. They've decided to keep Ellison Smith for the moment. Again, we'll see what happens in the next few hours. But obviously he he seems to be an IR candidate. And he may wind up being IR for the whole season. Who knows? He may never see a snap. Sure but but and, they've decided that they wanted to go this way.
2: And by the way, for individuals that are interested in hearing a little bit more background information on Ellerson Smith, Paul and I actually a few months ago spoke with his defensive line coach at Northern Iowa, Bryce Pop on this very program and he gave some really good insight about how Ellerson Smith has a lot of upside but still very raw in very terms raw. of what he needs to accomplish to be that disruptive type of player on the NFL level. So if you did miss that interview, highly recommend you go back and look in our archives. I believe it was in May, if I'm correct, in early parts of May that you want to look. And we had him on, and he provided some really good background info about what it's been like working with Ellerson Smith. And it's possible, I don't say that this is going to happen, but if they do make a move, I mean, if Odenable's still out there, you know, maybe he does return at some point this season if he's unsigned, given the fact that he does know the system. Guys do come back. So, you know, you never know that from that standpoint. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Joe is in Pennsylvania. Joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Joe?
3: Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for coming out in this rain. I don't know if you're I'm south of you. here Central PA getting it pretty hard, so... I don't know if you started getting it hard there yet or not, but it's know, already so.
1: raining, Joe. But not too bad. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to are come a good, little bit later.
3: Yeah are you are you going to do your inside walk, Paul, in the Giants' inside facility? No, in can't do
1: that. Half of the facility's been taken up by temporary offices since the COVID came in. So oh, wow. that uh, the field house is shut down to my walks. I don't have a choice well, now. Well, I gotta you better gotta be put outside.
2: your boots on. Then you better <laughs> tell put me your about boots it. <laughs> and <his> raincoat <laughs> well, too.
3: Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, we were right. We were talking about earlier, uh, you know, the past week or so, we, guys, we want to keep it every day. They you know, said, well, we could just get rid of all our backup offensive line. We don't have to worry about them, and none of them made it besides Nate Solder. That's true. So true. That, that was it. And these guys are talking about, uh, you know, how good we are in picking up the defensive line players if we could only do that a little bit on the offensive line. But, uh, you know, I'm saying the two fullbacks I did hear we were going to. Uh, there's a good possibility to keep them. Can any of them play tight end? I did see uh, the New England let go of uh, Matt uh, Lacrosse, there, the guy we had before. Lacrosse
1: has been banged up though, so I don't think it's so, likely he's yeah. going to land anywhere right now.
3: Would you say all all our our uh, like? Running backs and wide receivers and, and that and tight ends with the, the starters, we almost have to uh, label them as injury prone, really and truly. I would think, you know, I it's even our defensive backs, you know, like the guys we pick up and that they re, they really are. What the biggest uh, surprise I I have there, but maybe they showed you something more in. Uh, uh, in, in uh, you see them on the field at practice there. Uh, Bright Bill beating out uh, Corey Clement because he looked like our most ex-
2: explosive
3: back to me running in preseason here. And I was very surprised with that. What do you guys think?
2: Well, Brightwell actually had a nice preseason performance late. I thought he started to come on. And remember, he's got a lot of special teams background based on what he did in college. He played for all four okay. units. So I think that was another factor as to why he got the edge over Corey Clement. And you knew Devontae Booker, based on when they signed him, was pretty much in good shape to be the backup. And once again, they went with the two fullbacks, and Eli Penny has the ability to run the football in addition to playing fullback. So, I mean, at that point, I think it was more of a numbers game where if Corey Clement can't give you some of the versatility that the other guys provide, you're not going to keep him on the roster just to have five running backs. So you're going to have to make a sacrifice from that standpoint.
1: And All by right. the way, we—I we, did see the count. Our lads, which uh, some of the, the scouting services, one of the few ones that I really have a great respect for, our lads says that there are sixteen NFL teams this year that did keep a fullback, and the Giants are the only team that decided to keep two, just as a yeah, matter uh, of fact. Uh, now
3: ours don't play tight end; our fullbacks.
1: Well, they—they they? They could play H back. They're,
3: yeah. they're not going to play. They're not going
1: to play your yeah. typical inline tight yeah. end spot. But there's no reason that Gillespie or Penny could not be an H-back.
3: Yeah, I guess you've seen uh, the 49ers let go of our running back, uh, Goldman. uh, Yeah, 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 I I saw that. I I don't know there. How? But is there anything word on the practice squad yet? The guys uh, who are guys have to clear
1: the guys have to clear waivers for 24 hours before you can start signing them to the practice squad.
3: Okay, so I guess we're we're all hoping for stills there. I don't know if they'd bring uh, Corey Clements. Okay, thanks for
1: taking my call. Hi right, Joe.
2: Appreciate the phone call.
1: Lance, I think both of those guys are candidates for the practice squad, to be frank with you.
2: Sure, absolutely. Listen, anybody who was with the team over the course of the offseason certainly has an edge because if you're the Giants coaching staff, you're going to want to bring guys in that know the system. Mm-hmm. If you don't bring guys that know the system, they're going to need a few weeks to actually get acclimated and adjusted. And if you, God forbid, need to call somebody up – you feel a lot more comfortable having somebody that was with you over the last few months. So without a doubt, guys who are on the roster are going to have a significant edge. Just look at the players they brought back last season. The bulk of them were with them during the course of camp or going back to the spring.
1: I wasn't thinking so much about familiarity as I was thinking about their positions Because, you know, Barkley is still ramping up, so you might want to bring back a running back. And certainly with the wide receiver situation, we know that although Slayton was out there in 11-on-11 yesterday, uh, he did wind up getting dinged up the other day in the game against the Patriots. a foot and ankle thing. We know that Tony is still ramping up. We know that John Ross is still ramping up. We know Galladay is still ramping up. So to me... It also seems like, you know, there's going to be at least one wide receiver, probably as many as three or four coming back onto this practice
2: squad or even onto the 53 if they wind up
1: making some moves.
2: Well, because Dante Pettis at this point and C.J. Board are your two healthy backups. Sterling Sterling Shepard, Shepard, Well, but Sterling Shepard's not a backup. I mean, that's a guy that starts regularly. Three
1: guys who are, like, crystal clean right now
2: correct so that would be more of a reason why you'd want to maybe have an additional wide receiver I don't know if I'd be as concerned at the running back position Paul I get your point about Barkley but I mean the fact that once again you have three guys that could carry the ball because I consider Eli Penny somebody that could give you a few carries a game I agree with that I think you're in okay shape God forbid Barkley's not ready to go wide receiver I would say maybe a little bit more urgency because you're talking about four guys that have some type of an issue that they're dealing with. I mean, that's the bulk of your receiving core and we're talking about legitimate starters there. So I think that may be a little bit more of a concern where you'd want more insurance as opposed to the other spot. Want to remind Giants fans to not miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there is still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with the Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Also, take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giants suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And on September 26th, you can watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. We are offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli bobbleheads, jerseys, T-shirts, and more. Speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888 888- nyg NYG 1925 you have to select option number four and actually on a related note the Giants announced earlier today that Michael Strahan's number will be retired when the Giants host the Eagles in late November so it's gonna be a very busy season you're gonna have the two players that have their retired jerseys then remember they're gonna honor the 10th anniversary of the 2011 Super Bowl team so a lot of happenings going on throughout the course of this 2021 campaign.
1: Yeah, John Mara had already said last year that uh, the Giants had planned to do both Strahan and Manning at some point, and then, of course, COVID came into play, and so, you know, we just didn't know when that was going to happen. But now that we have full fans back in the buildings, it's great to see the uh, these two greats get their numbers put up to the rafters.
2: Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Brandon's in New Jersey joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Brandon?
4: Hey, good morning, man. Uh, I just, to uh, just want to touch on a few issues. Now, um, with the starting off uh, offensive linemen, I believe that the coaching staff and Joe Judge will like it to be Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, and uh, Nick Gates, Will, Hen- will Hernandez, and um, also Perk. But if Perk is not ready, I feel as though that they may probably pushing Nate Soldier at the right tackle, but I believe that they want that vibe to grow. And also, um, I believe that the Jason Garrett factor is, is a real factor in this. I kind of see that the future of uh, Daniel Jones is going to be kind of a little bit similar to Eli when they passed over the reins over to Kevin Gilbride, being the fact that it wasn't working out with the first offensive coordinator, with the quarterback coach, I feel as though every time he coming off the field, he's talking more than him than he's talking to Jason Garrett, which is the you know, the quarterback coach. And you remember before that Jason um Kevin Gilbride was pumped up to that position in uh Eli's fourth season. So if I believe like everybody's gonna make it seem like this is a break of year uh make it a break year for Danny Jones. But I feel as though it's more so a make a break year for Jason Garrett, and if he is gonna be out I feel like they're going to bump up the uh, quarterback coach that I feel as though that Daniel Jones is a little bit more in tune with, more so than Jason Garrett. And my question is, um, with the rookie cornerback in the third round, um, Robinson, what happened with him?
2: Well, he had core muscle surgery, so that's why he's been sidelined. And he's going to be out for the first six weeks of the season because that's the rules governing the pup list.
4: Hmm. So how do you feel about what I said about the uh, the Kevin Gilbride situation with the quarterback coach and the five offensive linemen that I stated that I feel as though that they want to grow in unity going into the future?
2: Well, as far as the five offensive linemen, I think even going back to Dave Gettleman's comments, they made it very clear that they want to play these young guys because they want them to develop. So I think they're going to do everything in their power to see if Matt payer can grab the right tackle spot and run with it. But... If you've heard some of Joe Judge's recent comments and you go back to last season, he also will not shy away from rotating, where you could, I think, see Matt Paird and Nate And I think you're going to see both of them over the course of the season. Now, who plays more? I think ideally they want Matt Paird to play more because he only played 15% of the snaps last season, and Paird is by far the younger player And you hope that he's in the long-term plans more so than, of course, Solder, who is closer to the end of his career, given the fact that he's been in the league for about a decade. So I do think you're going to see both. But I think deep down inside, yeah, they absolutely want Pear to flourish. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you're talking about a relatively high pick last year. Eventually, you got to take off the swimmies and you got to throw them into the deep end. So I think that's going to be the approach here.
1: From thinking all spring and all summer that Matt Parrott was going to have a leg up and he really is going to do a good job and seize that spot over the last two weeks, specifically when the Giants got to Cleveland for the joint practices, I have now become a believer that it's going to be split, that Solder is going to see a healthy share of snaps at right tackle because I don't think Parrott has grabbed that thing by the throat. He just hasn't done it. And so, right. you know, I think Solder is going to see a split time there. And you know what? If Parrott doesn't step up his game, maybe Solder winds up being the full-time right tackle for for a year. It could happen. I'm, kind of, I'm not going to rule I, that out. I'm kind of leaning towards thinking
4: that he may start the Denver game. Um, oh, I think here. it's very yeah, possible.
2: I that's crazy.
1: It's very possible Solder starts against Denver, especially with his experience against a very potent edge pass rush.
4: Right. Um, and also um, what I touched on with the Jason Garrett situation far as what happened with Eli when, uh, with the Kevin Gilbrow effect when uh, he got bumped up from the quarterback coach to the offensive coordinator. Because everywhere that I hear, even on, uh, you know, Schrager even said something on uh, good morning football that he has a, a great mind and, uh far as uh, an offensive mind. And do you think, it's a possibility that he may become the offensive coordinator if Jason Garrett uh, doesn't make, you know, make anything happen this season. Because
2: well, you're I feel referring like to Jerry Schuplinski. Like that's really who you're referring to. Or yeah,
4: uh, I really feel like they really want to move forward with with Dave, with Daniel Jones, and I also want him to too. I feel as though he's everything that we want him to be, as far as a lead off the field and on the field. We just need him to just step up, and I think it's more so what's doing with what the play calling of what happened early in Eli, uh career, and he didn't really take off until Kevin Gilbrot, um took those rings.
1: And so, Chris Palmer I, became his quarterback's coach.
4: Right. So I kind of see that a little bit similar happening if Jason Garrett doesn't um,
1: do what he's supposed
4: to do this season. Well, I
1: think everybody on the offense is kind of on notice to make things happen this year, don't you? I mean, yeah, I, don't, I, believe, I don't think finger-pointing at anybody is going to help anyone right now because this entire offense, from the offensive line to the quarterback to the receivers and the running backs and the tight ends, every single one of these positions is going to have to come out and give them a high level of productivity if the Giants are going to get to where they think they can go.
4: But I believe that that goes to do with play calling as well. Um and was you know everybody was saying that Jason Garrett' offense is very vanilla, and it's like it's not up to tune with the modern day NFL of pre-snap motions and everything. Put it this that, way:
1: no matter how vanilla his offensive play calls may or may not be, if your guys drop passes, if your guys don't break tackles and get yak yardage, you're going to struggle season and yeah. if yeah yeah and if your offensive line doesn't give Daniel Jones time to throw you're going to struggle play callings probably the last factor on the list it's still about players executing on the field regardless of what plays are called
4: well Paul I kind of feel like that has a little bit due to lack of uh, preseason action on um, being Could to be.
1: yeah I'm not gonna dispute
4: beat. that yeah um
1: hey, I don't you,
4: know what was Why he didn't put them in Cleveland, but you know I trust Joe Judge and his decision, and I feel like the offense is going to struggle for at least two to three weeks before they get their footing under. Um, that's just going to be. I
1: I think you, I think you're going to see a lot of teams. Okay, as we always talk about September, it takes four games for a coach to really know what he's got because you got to get your sea legs under you. And the Giants have had a lot of turnover. They've got a lot of guys who are ramping up after injury. I'm telling you right now, I've, I've already kind of, I don't want to say lowered my expectations, but I know that this team is going to have some struggles in September. I'm already aware of that. I could see it now, and it's going to be probably on the offensive side of the ball. Now, is the defense and special teams good enough where they can overcome some of those things and doggy paddle while the offense finds some oil to get those wheels turning? Perhaps they can.
4: Right. Um, I'm just going to leave you guys with this. Uh, You know, um, I just feel like it shouldn't be put all on Daniel Jones this season. I feel as though we need to shed a little bit more light on what Jason Garrett has going on for the offense and may have to think about knowing exactly what we did with Eli Forrest, what they did with Kevin Gilbright and bringing the quarterback coach up to be the offensive coordinator, I feel like he's a little bit more in tune with him than than anything. He's always talking to him more than he's talking to Jason Garrett. Yeah, but you have and to
2: understand, Brandon, uh-huh. and appreciate the phone call. We'll let you go there. Yes, he's having conversations right. with Jason Garrett behind closed doors all the time. I mean, you're only seeing a very small part of the interaction. I think that's reading way too much into it. And you do talk a lot to your position coaches because if the coordinator is focusing on the flow of the game and he's in charge of every single position, you're probably going to be looking at the film and each an individual play with your position coach. Mm-hmm. So I think you're reading a little bit too much into that from that standpoint. The other thing that I'll throw out there, and Paul alluded to this, you go back to the game in Philadelphia, Daniel Jones threw a pass to Evan Ingram. They couldn't make that play. The creativity we saw against Dallas where they went for the fake field goal and they threw a touchdown, there was a penalty that called that back. He was the offensive coordinator that implemented the game plan in which they ran the ball down the throats of the Seahawks without Daniel Jones. So as much as some people want to criticize the play calling, It's a big reason why the Giants actually were able to win six games last year, okay? And maybe the lack of execution was what held this team back. Everybody's always looking to point fingers, and there's a lot of factors. But I think the easy out is play calling, play calling, play calling. When there were opportunities to be had last season, and more often than not, the players just didn't make plays, period. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the phone lines. Rick is in Tampa joining us now. What's happening, Rick?
0: Hey, what's up, Lance? What's up, Paul? Hi. How you guys doing?
2: Doing all right. What do you got um, for us? All
0: right, real quick, I got a couple of things. First of all, regarding uh, Cam Newton, I don't know if you said, did you say anything about that? Because I'm at work, I didn't get a chance no, to No, well, he beginning. was released
2: by the Patriots, yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. Do you think he's, um, where do you think he's going to land? And um, also... Was he think it was for the COVID uh, restriction, or do you think they just want to give him a chance to play? So you can answer that after I'm done. That's I was just curious from your guys' point of view regarding that, because if he's going to go, uh, where do you think he may go? Um, okay, Paul, you said it. Your lower expectations for the at least the month of September. I know you always say that's a proven ground. In the beginning, it's difficult. I have to agree with you after seeing um, seeing what we're seeing. For one, uh, regarding um, uh, Gentleman's going to have to answer for Andrew Thomas. I mean, we had our first pick of all these linemen, and we picked him. And if he if he doesn't have a good year, I mean, Gettleman's going to – and we don't have a good year. He's going to be gone with him or not with him. But I think that's that, that was a bad choice if that's the case. When do you think Saquon will take the hit? When are they planning it? What do you think? Uh, is it going to be a day? Say, okay, let's hit him. I mean, is it coming up? When do we expect that? And, Paul, you made a comment the other day, two days ago, about Daniel Jones when you were saying about, you know, what can we, we can't expect too much from It was only one half of play, it's preseason, and, and I understand that, but the idea is why was it only one half of preseason? I'm still upset that he didn't play more uh, during the preseason, and we got to see him only uh, once, really, in game, uh, games, you know, trying to play in, in a game like that. And Evan Ingram against Hurt. I, I mean, it, it's, that's the same storyline. And I've mean, so many players are, are hurt and haven't, it's so much of, and that's why when you said you're lowering expectations, so many players are not ready to play yet who are, we're counting on going into the first week in a hostile environment. So, yes, my, unfortunately, expectations have been lowered because of that, because, I, I, and then we're signing all these linemen. I mean, we're just pulling these guys, you know, now in the last two weeks, before the season starts, uh, so talk me off that soft ledge that I'm on, Paul. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, All
1: right, I, I, if, I do if have if one I, piece of incorrectly or what? <laughs> no, no. I have one piece of very strong logic for you regarding Daniel Jones. Would it have really mattered had Daniel Jones played more preseason snaps when the key receivers that you want him to throw to weren't available anyway? Galladay wasn't available, <laughs> right? Uh, Tony wasn't available, and we think both of those guys are going to be big play guys. We thought that John Ross was signed during the offseason to provide a deep threat, and we know how good Daniel Jones is at throwing the deep ball, but he couldn't throw it to him because Ross wasn't able to play during the preseason. So I guess while I kind of would love to have had Daniel Jones, you know, do some more with the passing game during the exhibition campaign, The truth of the matter is, three of the most potent weapons, and by the way, Kyle Rudolph was another guy who was (laughs) supposed to be a very critical offensive weapon in the passing game. Not available during the preseason. So my, my take on that is, initially, what you say sounds good, like it would have been great to play Daniel Jones more, but then when you peel back the onion and you realize... That so many of these key weapons, who were supposed to be incredibly important to the passing game, were unavailable anyway. Why, why would you have played Daniel Jones' extra snaps? What good would it have done?
2: I think the other factor right. is the level of competition opposite Daniel Jones. What's the purpose of playing him against backups? Then you're going to see maybe explosive numbers, and then your expectations are going to be through the roof. And then when the caliber of competition increases, it's more of a reality check. So, you know, Joe Judge, one of the things he always brings up, and he talked to Kevin Stefanski about this, he was going to say, hey, let's see what Cleveland throws out there. Let's see what New England throws out there, and that will determine whether or not I'll even keep the starters in through the third quarter. If you're not going to get tested against high-level competition, there's no purpose of keeping your starters in. You're not getting much of anything out of that from an evaluation standpoint.
0: No, that's true. And, and again, I always forget that these preseason games, the Cleveland and the New England, were orchestrated by the coaches. And because I see other teams starting there, you know, I mean, they're starting there at least for a quarter for the second game and into the third game. And where we had our, uh, I guess it was orchestrated that they weren't. Well, start the joint they- practices
1: were orchestrated. I want to be careful here. The joint practices were orchestrated by both sets of coaches. In the Cleveland game, there was somewhat of an understanding about a couple of situations that that Joe Judge and Kevin Stefanski had, but they did not really orchestrate the game. They just had a couple of situations that both guys, oh. uh, you know, kind of agreed upon. As far as the Patriots game, Joe Judge told me the morning of the game, we, we, we had a production call with him for the broadcast, and he said flat out. I asked him that. I said, did, did you do anything similar like what you did with Stefanski? And he said, no, Bill and I have not talked. We are playing this game against the Patriots as a game. There will be no preconceived notions or parameters. So let me make that very clear to you.
2: Yeah, that's okay. why he said, okay. I have to see what Bill decides to do and then that will determine how long he keeps his starters in.
0: Okay. And regarding the Saquon hit, I know we're waiting for it. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I suspect
1: because of how well he's been coming along, and this is a gut feeling now, okay, this is not any inside medical information because only the trainers really know, if they even know, I would say gut feeling is the Giants may jostle Saquon Barkley during their three or four rough practices that they'll have prior to the Broncos game. And that may be the contact that Joe Judge says is necessary before evaluating a player to see if he can get on the field. I do think there's a possibility he will play and suit up against the Denver Broncos. Again, I think he's going to be limited. I think he'll be on a snap count. I think he'll be on a touches count. But I do think he is in play for the Broncos as I sit here today.
2: Logan Ryan actually made an interesting comment when he spoke to the media the other day. He said, and this is only because obviously Joe Judge worked under Bill Belichick, he said that when Devin McCourty, Patriots safety, was coming back from a shoulder injury, and even this happened with the late great junior Seau, that when some of those guys were returning from injury and they weren't practicing that much, that he would have them work with scout team players and sort of, tackle to the ground just to test out their shoulder or various injuries. So the reason why Logan Ryan was thrown out there, not that Joe Judge said they're going to do this, but he may have Saquon work with a few defensive players, assuming that's allowed under the CBA rules and regulations, outside of practice just to get him prepared for taking a hit or two, and that's more in a controlled setting with defensive players that you trust. So that could be another option that they look to employ next week in practice.
0: Okay, okay, well, that, that's good. I appreciate it, and uh, keep a, a great show as usual. And uh, I, I look forward to next week uh, calling in, and i uh, got a question for you of your standout players, which is I think will be fun for next week as we get going. And, uh, Paul, come on, Yankees. Four in a row the, in the wrong column. Come on. Don't worry right. about
1: it. Right, as long as they get it yeah. to the postseason, that's all that matters.
2: Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. The other thing that he threw out was uh, the comment about Cam parting ways with the Patriots. As far as the rationale behind that, I think there was a lot of reasons behind it. I think part of it was they were impressed with what Mac Jones showcased over the course of training camp. He and was really good, Lance. He was yeah. really good. Absolutely. I mean, he made some really great throws against the Giants. If you saw that preseason game, so I, even I think that's a big their part first of it. Practice too. Yeah, one hundred percent. When you see the young guy and you see enough out of him, that certainly influences you. It's also possible that when Cam heard the news that maybe parties had conversations and Cam thought that he'd have a better opportunity elsewhere to compete for a starting job. So, you know, sometimes they come to grips with the fact, hey, you know, we have other veterans like Brian Hoyer on the roster. We're going to move on. I was a little bit surprised that they outright moved on from him. I think that there would have been value to keep him. But once again, if a player feels they have better opportunities and the team doesn't necessarily want a disgruntled player around, and I'm just speculating here, then they'll decide to come to an agreement and move on. And then, of course, listen, as far as the vaccination status is concerned, You know, the NFL made it clear to all the teams that you can't make a decision based on that. But I think without being naive, okay, you have to understand that teams are going to weigh that because they want to make sure that they have the availability of all their players and there's no interruptions in the season. I don't think that was the end-all, be-all factor, but I'm sure, once again, a lot of things came into play as to why the Patriots moved on from camp.
1: Well, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, Bill Belichick is going to do what he thinks needs to be done, and— it doesn't matter if that guy is a star or has headline-grabbing uh, name value. That you know, Bill Belichick's not in the marketing business, Lance. He's just not. No, nor should he. Nor, co- nor should he be. N- nor I, any. Coach. I, I totally agree with yeah. you. So you know, I the fact that Cam Newton w- was w- was released, that's a business decision that or a football decision that that Belichick has made. Could be some of both, but
2: sure. I guarantee you, one thing he did not think about was the value of Cam Newton's name. Well, and I don't think Bill has ever made a decision based on that. No. Because they've traded guys away that you could argue were quite valuable to the team. No question. So, once again, I don't think this is stunning news. I just said that I do think there is some value in having Cam backing up your young quarterback who hasn't taken one NFL snap. So, I would want to have sort of an insurance policy. But, once again, there are other times that there's conversations that happen behind closed doors where – they may have wanted to retain him, but the player doesn't want to be there anymore. And then you come to grips with, hey, it's probably best if we move on. And I'm not saying that's how it played out, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's how a conversation carried out. And as far as Cam getting another opportunity, listen, there's a reason why every team in the National Football League doesn't feel great about their starter. Because there's a lack at this position at the NFL. So whenever you have somebody like that who has a resume of a lot of experience, not to say that, you know, he's the best quarterback in the league right now, but I think every team's going to do their due diligence. And if they think Cam can upgrade their backup situation or perhaps come in and compete as a starter, then they'll have to weigh the risk-reward type of situation with respect to that. I hear you. Would not surprise me if uh, he gets another opportunity. I think we've seen that with a lot of other players at various positions. Lance Meadow, Paul Datino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. As we are focusing on the 53 man roster, as well as looking ahead to week one against the Denver Broncos. So now they'll have about a week and a half to prepare for the Denver Broncos. Logan Ryan even mentioned he's starting to review the film. And, you know, on a side note to that, and I thought, you know, once again, every time Logan speaks, he usually provides something that's interesting to make you think about preparation or the upcoming matchup, whatever it may be. The whole Teddy Bridgewater factor, Paul, is also a bit fascinating in this conversation because you don't have Teddy with Denver last year. You had Drew Locke with Pat Shermer last year. You didn't have Teddy. So you have to then account for Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater maybe in Minnesota with Pat Shermer, and that was only about one or two games because he was hurt in the 2016 season. So it makes it a little bit more challenging in terms of preparing for this Denver offense because when you have a new quarterback, they may do things differently than how they ran it with Drew Locke under center.
1: Well, I mean, we've been talking about this now for months, and I think, weren't you in favor of Bridgewater winning that job?
2: I actually, I thought they'd go a little bit more towards Locke. He was the younger guy, and I thought stability for Drew Locke would have voted very well for him because he never had the same offensive coordinator going back to college. But I think it's a logical move why they went with Teddy. Because I think he's going to take care of the football, unlike Drew Locke, who's a little bit more of a gunslinger. They got a good defense, and it's the right recipe to try to win games early in the season. So I like the move from that standpoint, but I thought they were going to do everything in their power to see if Drew could take off with the same right. offense.
1: Yeah, I, I, I kind of thought along the same lines as you did. I will just say one thing, very simply. I'm glad Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be there.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh, something tells me Green Bay's happy that he's not there either. Okay, I, I concur. Yeah. So, you know, it's, just, it's about the dynamics of the quarterback situation and how that changes what maybe a team will do on offense this year compared to what they ran last year. I also think they're going to run the ball heavily – with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, because I think both of those guys provide a nice one-two punch. So, you know, this is going to be sort of a grind-it-out type of approach because Denver, I don't think, is going to say we have to take a lot of chances on offense. I think they feel pretty good about who they have returning on defense and the makeup of that secondary based on what they did in free agency and the draft. So, you know, points may come at a premium. In week one, I would not oh, be surprised. Lance.
1: Come on, Denver's coming into MetLife Stadium thinking to themselves, "If we can win a
2: 17 to 13 game, we'll be thrilled." Sure, yeah, you know that's what they're thinking. One hundred percent, especially with Vic Fangio as their head coach. And him coming from a defensive-minded philosophy, and once again, Teddy being smart with the football, not a guy that knows he's going to put his team in a precarious spot, they would feel wonderful about winning a game where they score maybe 17 to 20 points. And I'm sure they say to themselves, it's feasible, too, because of how well their defense is composed.
1: Well, and you know what? I'm not so sure that the Giants shouldn't feel that way, too. Patrick Graham has done a phenomenal job with this defense, and we think it's going to be even better during the course of this regular season. And they did look pretty darn good against the Patriots in the first half the other night, too. So, um, yeah, you know, do the Giants have a right to feel that, hey, they can go into this game and think 17-13 in their favor? Why not?
2: So that is going to wrap things up for us here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern as we start to look ahead to the Week 1 matchup in more detail against the Denver Broncos. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks for the phone calls as always. Paul, always enjoy the conversation. Look forward to doing it again tomorrow. Good to speak with you, Lance. Absolutely. A reminder that... Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul DeTino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and we'll speak to you on Thursday. Have a good one.